Welcome to Ducks Dash, the University of Oregon show on Dash Sports. I'm Izzy LaRue. Here's Michael Streit. Michael, let's get into everything Ducks football. So Oklahoma State, they had their first loss of the season yesterday against Texas. Tell me, uh, what does that loss mean for the Ducks? Yeah, so uh, welcome to November, Izzy. I saw you on Friday. We are back just a couple of days later, and that's because this is our final show before the season starts. I'm going to be doing a crossover show, doing a preview of the game right before the you know game day. But this is our last chance to talk about Oregon football. I mean, we've been talking so much about previews and position groups and stuff, and now it is here. We got our last thoughts in there. And, you know, a lot happening we get to see a lot of what's going on in the college football landscape. Oklahoma State was a top 10 team in the Big 12, and they're still a really great team, but they lose to Texas in overtime, so they will not be undefeated this season. There won't be a Big 12 team that is undefeated, which if someone was, that would be sort of an easy berth to the college football playoff. And I think for the Ducks, it means the door is open. How likely the Ducks are to actually, or anyone in the Pac-12, to actually run the table and you know take that opportunity, I'm not sure. I think more, more so than for the sake of the you know, Pac-12, this is a big deal for the SEC and a little bit the Big Ten having a higher chance of being able to squeeze in a second team because that's always what the SEC and Big Ten are looking at is those, te- those conferences are so powerful that their best team is going to get there. And there's always a conversation about whether their second best team can slide in the four spot. Yeah. And you're the big 12 really Oklahoma, really their lines of making it to that college football playoffs because Oklahoma, they've underperformed greatly this season with their rookie against the Rattler. But uh, Chuba looks like he couldn't take them an undefeated season because Texas um I don't know what Sam Ellinger was on yesterday but they they came back to win that game to steal that win which it hurts the big 12 as a conference in whole because now I definitely don't see them making the college football playoffs and now there's really three teams you're looking at for that third for that fourth spot in the college football playoffs you have Oregon who's probably last in line and then you have Georgia and Notre Dame and now if Notre Dame, Notre Dame can beat Clemson this uh, Saturday, which could be very viable because Trevor Lawrence, he's not playing this game because he still has to be out for a certain amount of time because he contract the, contracted the COVID-19 virus. And now you're looking at a Georgia team who might only have one or two losses depending on if they win the SEC championship or not. So it this, like you said, it opens the door a lot for Oregon now because now Oregon, it, let's say they go 7-0 winning the Pac-12 championship. That means the only teams that, that can beat them for that four spot is an undefeated Notre Dame, which who knows if they'll do that because they're playing in the ACC this year and they were going to see Clemson in the ACC championship game. So if they lose that game, that might go against them in Georgia. If they lose the SEC championship game and lose again to Alabama. I mean, the only other team that can get that fourth spot is going to be Oregon. So this is a big one for Oregon, Oklahoma State going down, but we'll see what happens throughout the rest of the season.
yeah, this was um, important uh, win for Oregon's college. I mean, important that you know what's happening in the Big Twelve is important for Oregon's college football chances. The Big Twelve, especially, is really funny right now. Um, I was looking; I think it was on Reddit somewhere that the Big Twelve it has only ten schools. Kansas sucks, and the other nine schools are basically trying to find a way to get into a nine-way tie <laughs> for first place uh, because they, they're in Pac-12 mode where they're beating up on each other, which, by the way, I fully expect Pac-12 after dark and Pac-12 chaos to come back strong, and I don't expect this to be a normal, peaceful year for the Pac-12 either. I think there's going to be just as much bananas, crazy stuff going on and weird outcomes like we saw last year with that Washington State-UCLA game, which is just one of the greatest college football games ever, period. <laughs> and the stuff that was going on in that Pac-12 after dark, man, it's not going to disappoint. So the other thing, too, is this conversation inches around Oregon at 7-0. and If ACC, even if they drop a game, I don't see them. I mean, they're – wasn't going to say Clemson, they're – they're still, you know, a powerhouse as long as they take care of business in the ACC and just win. And, you know, I assume they don't lose twice. They're going to be okay. You're going to have your SEC champ. You're going to have your Big Ten champ. And that fourth spot is going to be a really hot competition between who's still the best team in the Big 12, who's the best team in the Pac-12, which would have to be a 7-0 Oregon, and a really strong case from a second Big Ten team and a second SEC team. And at this point, I'm putting my money on two SEC teams over anyone from the Pac-12 being good enough. That's where I would say the most likely, uh, you know, fourth playoff team comes out of if everything shakes out the way it's supposed to. Um, and Oregon can give themselves a chance by going 7-0, and but you can't understate how difficult it is for this Oregon football team to go 7-0. and I mean, they... They did – I think they did string together seven straight wins. Yeah, they did put together seven straight wins last year. So it's not as difficult as kind of going undefeated over an entire Pac-12 slate, but it's going to be hard. And we talk about this a lot. I don't expect them to do it, and Oregon fans shouldn't expect them to do it, even though it's definitely possible. Yeah, and you kind of nailed it on the head with uh, a second SEC team probably in that fourth spot because we know – the college football playoff committee, they love SEC teams. And you'll always, like, more than likely, you'll see a second SEC team in there. I mean, maybe a second Big Ten team. You don't really see it that much because usually um, Oklahoma does good in their conference. But with Oklahoma, because Oklahoma had back-to-back -back Heisman winners and uh, made his case, but uh, – Joe Burrow has something else to say about that. So they've had great quarterbacks for the past three, three to four years. And now they're starting off with a guy who's coming. Like they have like what, three transfers and they're going with a guy who used to play for them his freshman year. And then he went back down to play at a community college level. And now he's back at Georgia starting for them. But I mean, Oh, Michael, I'm getting confused between um, Georgia and Oklahoma right now. I think it's the red for me, but. Yeah, uh, I meant, what I meant to say was that Oklahoma, they went from Kyler Murray to now Spencer Rattler, who's who's a rookie. This is the first time playing in the college season, so it's going to be adjustment for him. But as you can see, um, 
I don't really see any Big 12 team making that much noise this yeah. year. Oklahoma State but, was their best chance, but they dropped one against Texas. Right. You look at last year, um, Oklahoma was obviously still great. Baylor was really incredible. They just kind of had a good um, – you know, sometimes a team like Baylor, you kind of saw with LSU where it's just kind of like the stars align in terms of their seniors and what they have for a really strong season. But what you're seeing with LSU and Baylor as well is that if you have a really healthy senior class, they leave and the program takes a step back. So that happens with Baylor, and the Big 12 has to lean on Oklahoma still being great, and then both Texas and Oklahoma State moving up. And you've seen Texas is still just bananas. Texas is so funny to watch for me because they continually ping-pong back and forth between Texas sucks, fire the coach, Texas is back, they're going to be a top 10 school. No, they suck. No, they're back. <laughs> it's like this is a really funny back and forth. You kind of see the same thing happening with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan to a lesser extent. Um, and then it also, it all shakes down to, you know, Oklahoma state and they're still a really great team. Um, they're still a tough beat, but they're not going to be going undefeated. They lose that overtime game to Texas because Texas is back. <laughs> yeah uh sam ellinger it seems like every year seems like oh he's gonna be a heisman and then he has one bad game oh he's trash let's get a new recruit and then he has another good game heisman candidate so yeah you mentioned texas fans they like to flip flop a lot but let's go uh talk about more about oregon and talk about the special team so michael uh how much of a role do you think special teams will have this season for this oregon team yep um in this conversation it completely comes directly from the role that special teams had in 2019. Special teams needs to always be talked about. It needs to be addressed. And I fought for us to talk about this because I think, you know, we've done so many shows. Izzy. We got to talk about the kicker and punter that Oregon have coming into this year. It's going to mean a lot because it meant a lot last year. So I'm going to give you the background on 2019. 2019, Oregon was one of 12 schools that had a true freshman kicker in FBS football. That was Camden Lewis. He was a really good prospect in high school, made a lot of good kicks in high school, a lot to be, you know, ex a lot of high expectations for him, but still he's a true freshman. He had a rough, rough start. And one of the biggest, you know, nightmare, spooky season things uh, you can say about a college football team is, oh, they have a true freshman kicker. Um, and that really came back to bite Oregon. And he really got piled on at the beginning of the year because he was a big role in that loss to Auburn with missed extra points with, I think there was also a missed field goal by him in that game. Um, he struggled early in the season and it was a very stressful thing for Oregon fans to talk about how they can't trust the kicking game. In the second half of the season, Camden Lewis did figure it out. Um, he still made 95% of his extra points or something. Like people have, a, when people think about Camden Lewis as Oregon's kicker, they have a lot more negative of a perception than his stats will tell you. And his stats still aren't great, but they aren't bad either. He ended the season with um, most of his extra points made. And he, if you just looked at the second half of the season, he was making a lot of field goals. He was making a lot more consistent kicks. He was a lot more reliable. The only downside was that the longest field goal Oregon made all year last year was a 40-yard field goal. There was no such thing as a field goal in the 45-46 range, which is 
the, the area that NFL kickers are expected to be making field goals, right? They make those pretty consistently. Oregon, their offense had to play around the fact that they weren't capable of making those. So the entire offense all season kind of had to function around the fact that, well, we can trust Cam Lewis, Camden Lewis to make a kick within 40, but if it's outside of 40 yards, let's try and go for a first down instead or let's punt the ball instead. Um, and that was definitely not good. But Camden Lewis – for as much people want to talk about the games that he's lost Oregon or the negative impact he had, he was the MVP for me in the victory over Washington State. The guy made, I think, five for five on extra points. He made the game-winning field goal at the end. He did not miss. He got many, many opportunities to miss, and he was perfect against Washington State, and they would not have won because they won by two points if he was not perfect all game and Camden Lewis deserves credit for that win and that's why his picture on the Oregon football roster is him being picked up on the shoulders after that victory he deserves it and all expectations are that he will be the kicker this year they do have two other kickers on the roster that are both sophomores now they had a freshman year and a redshirt year and now the redshirt sophomores and maybe we'll see them in action but I think Camden Lewis deserves to start this year as the kicker and I think he's going to just continue to improve on where he was at the end of last year and maybe make some 45 yard field goals yeah uh, when you talk about that Washington State game um, I think I speak for every Oregon fan was saying that I was very nervous and I I honestly thought that he was not going to make that kick like I'm going to be yeah, I'm going to be yeah. honest I I did not yeah. see that going in but when it went in oh the it will it was crazy and awesome when that went in because like I said no one thought it was going to go in and then once it went in we're like oh my god we we really won this game we really beat Washington State we didn't choke like we usually do so it it was good to see him get that win for Oregon but yeah I'm excited to see what he does this season like you mentioned he did struggle early in the season and I wouldn't be surprised to see that again just because of everything going on with corona and not uh, practicing as much as they usually would so I wouldn't be surprised if that happens if he struggles again. But, like, yeah, uh, on the topic of special teams, uh, special teams, it's not talked about a lot, and it should be because there's three parts of a football game. It's not just offense and defense. You also have special teams. Now, if your special teams is on point the whole game, you can win a football game just based on either good defense and good special teams or good offense and good special teams because the special teams yeah. unit that – uh, pins you down within uh, the 10-yard by having a good, good puncher and good gunners yeah. and actually we, getting the ball down. We saw that last year because when you have a really strong special teams unit, you win the close games. And when Oregon's kicking game was faltering, they lost the close game against Auburn. And when their kicking and punting was on point, they won the game against Washington State. I mean, it just is that little boost that matters a lot when the game comes right down to the wire. Yeah, and especially when the kickoff, when uh, teams are with kickoff, you kind of want those guys that are, are going there, going down the field to set the tone for the game. You want to see a big hit. You want to see something happen on a kickoff. And when you get those big hits by your guys who don't play that much, who might might be on like, um, I know, um, not like probably second or third on depth chart, it sets a big tone for the team because the defense goes out there like all hyped up, like, okay, let's go. We're ready. We're ready for this. Like, they set the tone. Now we got to set it higher. We got to make sure that this is the tone for the rest of the game. So special teams, it's a big reason why most of these teams win games. In Oregon, if they want to win these close games, 
they're going to have to make sure that their special teams play is way better than it was last season, which it should be just because yeah. of, like you mentioned, the kicker, and he's going to be a sophomore now. I want to I want to go back and just highlight that Washington State game. Camden Lewis, I want to make sure I get my facts right. He did miss an extra point in that game. He was actually two for three on extra points, but he made a 40-yard field goal at the beginning of the game, his longest field goal of the year. He then, in the fourth quarter when they needed him, made a 30-yard field goal with six minutes left and then made a 26-yard field goal to win the game, which is so funny because, Izzy, you started to hint towards it, but when Oregon had to drive down the field with a minute left, they literally just had a minute left, I was sitting there laughing to myself because I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be Camden Lewis for the win, right? And if Camden Lewis didn't miss that extra point to begin with, um, this would be different as well, but... Yeah, I was gonna. I was just like, we're gonna have to watch Camden Lewis try to make a field goal for the win, and then it was a 26-yard field goal, which is basically an extra point. I'm not joking; is an extra point kick, and Oregon fans did not expect him to make it. Oregon fans just flat out something about everything going on with Oregon this season. Uh, Oregon fans were not expecting him to make this chip shot. They were like, oh gosh, he's gonna miss, and then he made it, and you know the season changes for Oregon. And the way we look at Camden Lewis changes a little bit. And the last thing I want to touch on with Oregon special teams is we do need to talk about the punter. Last year, Oregon benefited from a really, really talented punter in Blake Maimon. Blake Maimon was a senior out of uh, Southern California. He was a high school quarterback, actually. But he went to one of the um, most prolific high schools in California, so he found himself losing the quarterback competition to some really talented guys and said, I still want to play D1 college football. So you know what he did? He just became the team's punter. He was like, screw it. I'm transferring from, I'm changing from quarterback to punter. He ends up being a great punter at that high school, ends up getting signed to Oregon. And he was at least the second or third best punter in the Pac-12 last year. The punting game for Oregon was above average. Um, and it was something that they leaned on as a strength. Uh, he's gone. He graduated, and Oregon, weirdly enough, is probably going to move back to Tom Snee. Tom Snee utilized a red shirt last year, but he was Oregon's punter as in his freshman year. So in 2018, in Mario Cristobal's first season, they had Tom Snee as their punter out of Australia. I expect him to make a return as the team's punter. He has experience. He has not been great, so that's something to keep an eye on as well is the loss of Blake Maimone for Oregon, and he's just another position that they need to fill the gap with a new player, and we'll see if Tom Snee can uh, live up to that and at least be sort of an average punter in comparison to the rest of the conference. Yeah, um, I'm excited to see what this special teams unit does as a whole in the season, just because, like we've been talking about, if our if the Oregon special teams units if they're on point then it's going to be a big help to the offense and defense whether they're pinning the opponent's offense in the 10 or if they're giving the offense extra points making those field goals or getting those stops so um i'm excited to see that and we'll see that this saturday against stanford and that brings us to our next topic uh how will oregon do in their first game of the season michael Ooh, the big question. We've gotten to game one. Um, Izzy, I do want to point out, um, correct me if I'm wrong, we don't know who the quarterback is, right? I mean, we're assuming Tyler Shuck at this point. He's, yeah, Tyler, Shuck continues to get, Tyler Shuck continues to get first-team reps. I mean, if 
there definitely could be an announcement um, for Tyler Shock as the starter at some point in this in this week if he just continues to get first team reps. Um, so we expect Tyler Shock to be running out there for the first play of the game, but there is no official announcement yet. Um, and here it comes, November seventh against Stanford. Um, how will Oregon do in their first game of the season? I'm. This is where my my skepticism about that slow start comes in. They're going to have a slow start with the new quarterback and the brand new offensive line, which we've talked about. It's going to be, you know, most obvious in the first half of the first game. But I don't think Stanford is strong enough. I don't think Stanford has enough going on for them this year to pull off the upset. I think Oregon might stutter. They might falter. And this might be a really close game. If you want to talk about like a spread potential for Oregon against Stanford, I think this game's going to be a lot closer. But I also think that uh, Oregon is going to figure it out against Stanford. I don't think Stanford is, like I said, they got lucky with who they're playing in the first three weeks of the season for sure. Yeah, I'm just really excited about football. I mean, it's been so long. We're in November already, and we haven't seen a single game yet. I mean, we've been seeing all these NFL teams play, all these other college teams play, and now it's finally the Pac-12's turn to start their season. So it's just a really exciting time. And to start against Stanford, I think this is probably the best-case scenario, scenario for Oregon because this Stanford team, they just lost their starting quarterback last season, KJ Costello, to a Mike Leach who was going to the S. CC at Mississippi State, and uh, they only got one good one over LSU, and we all know what LSU is now without Joe Burrow and all those starters. They're not even ranked right now, and neither is Mississippi State. They put up a donut against Alabama, getting 40-piece uh, yesterday, so that tells you what they're at. But Stanford, um, I honestly, I don't know what to say about Stanford. They haven't really gotten the recruits like they usually do in years on noise and the headlines about uh, what their um, team's doing in the offseason. So this is going to be a test to see how Oregon's going to do for the rest of the season, if Oregon's going to come out and just blast the team out of the water or if they're going to keep it close and kind of play down to Stanford's level. Yeah, so or Stanford last year, it was their first losing season in a long time. They really – it's the wheels started to fall off. They went four and eight – it was an uncharacteristically bad Stanford team. I mean, even in even though Stanford hasn't been, you know, a top team, they've been at least top half of the conference. And this was the first year in a while that Stanford was bad. Like, they just weren't good. Um, and that made David Shaw, as the head coach there, his seat was a little warm. And, um, you know, I, I'm the – you know, David Shaw is one of the longest tenured coaches – in the NCAA period. He's up there now. He's been there for, I think, about 10 years. David Shaw, you know, it's, it's I almost feel bad for saying he's, he's on a hot seat because it's not really a hot seat. Like Stanford, they love him there and they expect him to turn things around. But it's been a slow decline for Stanford's football team and for their football program overall. And they need, um, I mean, this is the school that, you know, in the last 10 years has had your Christian McCaffrey's and it's had your, Andrew Lux, et cetera. And right now, you know, it's just kind of a team that is middle of the road. I mean, let's say their projection is probably to go four and three or three and four in those seven games. So we don't have a lot to talk about in terms of 
what to be, you know, what Stanford is going to be good at this year or what they're not going to be so strong at because they're so middle of the road and because they also had a lot of turnover with the roster this year. We're going to see a semi-new quarterback. We're going to see a lot of transfers coming in on the defensive side. One area of the game that I'm going to be paying attention to is how dominant does Oregon's defensive line actually look against a Stanford O-line that, again, is not, you know, they should dominate. If Oregon's defensive line is supposedly, you know, going to be, this is going to be their year where they're one of the best D-lines in the entire country, um, you better come out and set the tone, game one, from the start, and really make life uh, difficult for Stanford's offense. Because, there's so much of this Oregon team that needs to work it out and slowly work through it and gain experience that the, the you know, strong part of the team, which we've talked about as the D-line, they don't have any room for error. They can't start slow. They can't figure their time out. They need to be dominant. They need to be dominant from game one. And if they are, I think that sets the tone for the entire defense. I think that sets the tempo for – Stanford scoring 14 or less points in the entire game. You know, it could be a really tough go for the Stanford offense if the Oregon D-line is harassing them all four quarters of the game. Because if they do dominate the way that Oregon fans are excited about them potentially doing and just being so, you know, physical up front, then Stanford's not going to be able to score a lot of points. And it gives Oregon a window to sneak away with like a 21 to 14 kind of win or even make it 24 to 10 or something. Yeah, and I want to talk about the flip side of Oregon's team, the offense. Um, I expect a big game from the running backs as well, especially from C.J. Verdell, because this Stanford defense, it's not really one of the toughest Pac-12 defenses there is. So this should be a big game for these running backs, and I want to see how they do with their cohesion. I want to see how this Joe Moorhead offense really runs against a Pac-12 defense instead of against these astute SEC defenses because we all know what he's been doing in the SEC. But, yeah, I'm really excited to see what they do. They should have a really good game. Look out for C.J. Burdell having probably a 100-yard-plus rushing game, maybe a touchdown or two. But uh, I'm I'm putting a lot of pressure on, the, on these running backs because it's going to be on them week one. Yeah, one thing that we – uh, also get to at least talk about, we got to savor it while we can, is the fact that because Oregon hasn't played yet, the Heisman campaign is still strong for a variety of their players, right? After they have like one bad game because of the fact it's such a short season, it's like, oh, okay, forget about them. But hey, CJ Verdell, start your Heisman campaign with a big game. Um, Come on, Kayvon, Michael, I, I can't give you that. Kayvon Thibodeau. I and, Kayvon uh, Thibodeau getting, you know, nominated from season, the defensive Michael. side. <laughs> All I'm saying is we're not going to get to talk on, about this next Trevor year. Lawrence and Justin Fields. We're not going to talk. We're not going to get to talk about this next year or next week. I mean, uh, once Oregon's played a game and like they all had, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say they're going to play average, but next week is going to be forget about it. But we can start. We can we can have the 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 introduction for the Heisman campaigns for C.J. Verdell, Kayvon Thibodeau, maybe throw Jalen Red in there. Maybe he'll score like two touchdowns. Jalen Red, oh Michael, <laughs> a Heisman receiver. What was the man who back Michael? But uh, yeah. 
Yeah, these shows we about this talk to all muscle and they the those guys they obviously now we're looking at some other guys and I kind of like the Kayvon and CJ Verdell. Uh, the Jalen Red one's very interesting yeah, for Jaylen Heisman. Um, but I'm just sick of quarterbacks, all right? Like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. Every year it's like, who are the best three or four quarterbacks in college football this year? It's like, forget about that. Let's mix it up. <laughs> yeah, it's just like in the league, Michael, the MVP is the quarterback award. We all know what quarterback awards are. But, I mean, what are you going to do? That's That's culture. But, uh, yeah, this is going to be our last show before the season starts. And make sure to catch our columns, too, at sportspack12.com, where you can find columns from most of the Dashboard shows. Look out for my uh, Ducks column, too. And thank you for joining us today. Make sure to follow us at Dashboards TV on Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. And check out our website, too, at dashboards.tv. And make sure to catch our next show, too.